Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where we discuss films from the unpretentious perspective. Say hi, Whiskey. Hi, Whiskey. We're your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, and today we will be discussing whether John Ford's How Green Was My Valley deserved the Academy Award for Best Picture over Orson Welles' storied Citizen Kane. Please be advised, spoilers are ahead. So today we actually have a controversial, at least in the film world, topic. <laughs> Citizen Kane versus How Green Was My Valley. And did How Green Was My Valley deserve the Best Picture Oscar over Citizen Kane? Now, of course, Citizen Kane, 1941, directed by Orson Welles, or as I wrote in my notes, directed by Citizen Kane. <laughs> and How Green Was My Valley, 1941, also directed by John Ford. It wasn't directed by Citizen Kane? It was not, no. What about uh, Orson Welles? N- n- Both n- pictures n- were directed by, no, it was directed by John Ford. Yeah, John Ford. You might know him from his other great films, such as Stagecoach. But yeah. Wait, was that You one? said films. What other ones? Oh, I know. That's the only one I can think of. <laughs> oh, come, come on now. There's uh, there's The Searchers, which is my favorite Thank John you. Ford movie. There's... Hmm. Shoot. Now Thank I'm... You. This is going to drive me crazy. I had at least two other ones he, in did my he did, head. Was, did he do Giants? Was that him? I think it might have been. I think that might have been him. Okay. If we were correct about that, let us know in the comments or tweet at us and tell us that we're idiots and don't know what we're talking about. Please call us idiots. <laughs> Please call us idiots. We're lonely. We've been locked up in quarantine too long. But yeah, controversial. I don't know. I, th- I feel like uh, as time ticks on, uh, obviously AFI has brought Citizen Kane down as the quote unquote greatest movie of all time. Now that title goes to Vertigo. Uh, so oh, good. I, as as things go on, I don't think it's. And I mean, this. I was very. Ex- I am very excited for this episode because I think this is just kind of a a microcosm of a bigger thing that you see, and that is pick any year. Do the ladies and gentlemen, everyone who listens to this show. I I dare you to do this when you're out with your friends when. You know, either on a Zoom call or if you're uh, out wearing masks and social distancing or whatever, pick a year, any year, and just see what won Best Picture that year and what movies were nominated. And I guarantee you, every single person will have a different opinion on what movie deserved the nom or what deserved the award. Whether it, because it's it's every year. And the other thing that's kind of funny, uh, going back before you know uh maybe even the 50s and stuff like this year 1941 where both of these films came out i had never heard of most of these movies i've heard i've heard of how green was your valley was my valley i had not heard of any of these movies Mm -hmm. and that's pretty consistent like you could go way far back like to when oh the first one to sweep the oscars help me out with this one the it was basically a rom-com wings no wings no this was like the 1930s Oh, that was the twenties. My apologies. Um, anyway, like it's 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 a funny thing because this this particular pairing holds a little bit of extra weight because because of how revered Citizen Kane is right. in the film and world. If you go to film school, you've seen Citizen Kane twenty times just because of school. Unless you're um, me, because you know you're just that petty. Well, you like the film now. I like it now, but you had to show it to me. Yeah, and that's the, well, and that's the thing too. I feel like there's this 
common misconception with the director and with the message of the film where like people think it's like glorifying a wealthy person and that it's like this stuffy like orson welles is the furthest thing from like pretentious which is funny because a lot like, of well as you told me that one time orson welles would probably find it hilarious that people think this is the greatest film ever made yeah i actually think he would and it's fun I, it almost makes me want to look up because the the man was alive until like the 1980s so he was alive at some you know when when it was revered as the greatest film of all time he was alive so i'd love to see if i could find like an interview of the guy talking about it because he never took himself very seriously and the whole point of the film is actually sort of like you wouldn't call it a comedy so for anyone who hasn't seen the film uh basically the the premise is that it's like a mystery you're trying his this this wealthy man who was just this you know, giant. Uh, he was a big media, publisher, a media yeah, conglomerate. He was, he's a media. He was basically NBC Universal he, as a person. Well, yeah, pretty much. He was he, you know, one of the wealthiest men in the world, super powerful, and he he died alone in his giant castle of a house with a zoo and all this other stuff alone. Right, right. Uh, and his last words were rosebud. The whole point of the movie is that uh, these these like a reporter is looking to find out what rosebud meant. Like, what was what, the meaning? What was it? And, like, that's the whole point of the movie. And you go through this guy's life and all of the things that he's done and stuff. And not... I think it's been kind of lost. A lot of people uh, get caught up in just the movie itself and things. But Orson Welles was a bit of a jackass. Um, and yeah. and his, his whole thing with this movie was that it's based on a real person who was alive when the movie came out. It's actually based on William Randolph Hearst. Hearst yeah. And, uh, For any of you Gaga fans out there, the castle Xanadu in this movie is based on Hearst Castle, Hearst Castle, which you know Lady Gaga filmed the guy music video at. Thought I just want to throw that in there. And well, give I didn't the know queen. she filmed the music video there. We yeah. need to get out there anyway because it's a it's a pretty big landmark here in California. It's, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Give some love to the Queen, but go on. But so it's so I'd never done this before uh, because I'd never had to talk about this movie before. But I was curious because this movie offended Mr. Hearst so badly, uh, and he was a media conglomerate. And the last thing you want when you're producing a film that you want to air in theaters and you know other things. Or to even be advertised on the radio, right. uh, he he blacklisted this movie. Any any theater he owned, any radio station he owned, any newspaper, just either the reviews were that this movie was garbage, or he wouldn't play the movie in his theaters. You know, like it was just slammed, and it was obviously you know because this guy couldn't take any kind of criticism about himself. Uh, honestly, sounds familiar. it's just, it's just funny. So I got curious. I was like, you know, did this guy just overreact? Like, was he that, or like, did this movie say anything uh, about his life? Like how I did not know much about her life going into this. So really the, the research I did going into this was just how, what was his life like? And it wasn't that similar. William Randolph Hearst was born wealthy. They owned a gold mine. That's what they, he was from San Francisco. His parents, they, they hit it big. He went to like private school. So already there's a difference because in uh, Citizen Kane, he was adopted by a wealthy banker. So he actually was like born poor, grew up poor. Other than that, there was, it's, it's very similar to his life. He also, you know, had a couple of failed marriages. He actually 
successfully ran for office. I believe he got a governor's seat twice. It might it might have been mayor. He successfully won two uh, elections, so he actually had a more successful political career than Charles Foster Kane from Citizen Kane. So right. already. There's that, but he lost a great deal of his wealth during the Great Depression right before this movie came out, and then died 10 years after the movie came out. Well, and also, uh, and then his granddaughter went on to become a domestic terrorist. That's right. So that's that's all, right. So the, one um, of the most iconic cases of Stockholm Syndrome. Crazy, crazy ever. stuff. Patty Hearst, if you ever want to look into that. Well, it was interesting to me. Like, uh, So obviously this guy was so offended by this movie. And I, and I feel like it's it's kind of sad that, the, that that aspect of the movie is sort of lost on a lot of people who either just watch the movie because they know it's popular or something because that's the and i think that's kind of why people assume that it's like glorifying this wealthy person it's not it's you know it's 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 got a if you watch it he does not come off looking you know attractive in any sense of the word it's It's not it's not a very appealing it's a full portrait my interpretation i always have like a different idea for what rosebud means but I always still hold firm that the whole point of the movie is it's this person who went into life very idealistic. So he had set values. He had an article of like principles that his newspaper would run by. And just over time, just he's becoming a worse person over well, time. Well, and like there's even that scene where um, I forget what he's like Jedediah well, sends him his list of principles that when he started, he said he was going to abide by. And I have proof that's what the movie's about. I forgot about this. Um, so when I was doing my research on William Randolph Hearst, he did a political flip flop. He originally was a big workers' advocate. He was very very on the like the liberal side of politics when he started out and those were the times when he kind of won his elections yeah but after the great depression he got very very more cynical Mm -hmm. and he supported fdr okay and so this movie came out in 41 so this is like kind of in the middle of world war ii we hadn't exactly become you know we hadn't hadn't really we we hadn't gotten involved yet we hadn't gotten involved but it was going on and so this was before FDR became kind of the, the you know, big president he is. I know some people don't like him for some reason or another. He's, he's a very iconic president. But around the time this movie came out, he apparently was very anti-FDR. He was much more conservative in his political leanings. Okay. And so I think maybe that's what inspired Wells to make the film, like as kind of a he's changed as a person that was like that, that was, that was champions, an inciting incident and when you watch the movie too kane is championing workers rights and stuff like right. that he says like boss i can't believe i forgot this i just saw the film a few days ago but like the the boss needs to be taken out i'm going to have him arrested and so that's what i think uh because you know there's i'm sure tons of stories as to why he uh and Maybe I should have done some research into well, that. And it's just I just like, was curious, because, like, did, is there any sort of parallel to this real person that has anything to do with Citizen Kane? I think, this is my personal take going on that, I personally think that he made it with just barely enough similarities to tick off William Randolph Hearst. Because from what I've read, I believe he and Hearst had some sort of beef about something. And this was his, like, passive-aggressive petty way of basically publicly shaming him. So he put enough in there that he knew Hearst was vain enough to look at this and see himself. And Orson Welles could just sit there and be like, 
well, I just made this movie. If if you think this is about you, you know, feel free to feel free to lace that shoe up and take a walk in it. And much to her dismay, the easiest way to advertise anything is to tell people not to see it. Right. Then all of a sudden, don't everybody do it. Wants don't see it. it. Now everyone's like, well, now, well, why? Now I gotta. Now I gotta know why I need to see it. Like, it's right. such, go to the park, watch it in secret. They were watch passing film up. reels under desks to each other. It's yeah, <laughs> like now you could just you know bootleg watch it on your. They yeah, didn't have put, it on your they didn't have Footlocker back then. Yeah, seriously. So I think that kind of works to the film's advantage, and I think maybe that was even Wells was, as I said, the guy that I I called him a jackass earlier, but the guy was like. He, Wiley, he 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 knew. He was a super chill person. He he, he would. But he get, knew how know, to play people. Is the thing, did. and I I feel like he knew how Hearst would react to exactly. the movie, and maybe that was his point. Um, Which, in a way, that makes that makes Orson Welles some very similar to some of the actions that Charles Foster, Foster Kane, Kane takes in in the movie. Well, but his going acting, back, his acting was great. By he, the way, he's, you know, he was no, he is terrific in that movie. I wish they had advanced makeup more so that he looks a little bit better. At I the think end. it looks better than some movies. It does look better, but it's just, like I just watched this earlier, um, and. I just, I just, I just, I think it's because it was just like a maybe a super like high quality print of it or something. Yeah. But I'm like, I could literally see the amount of powder they put on his face to make him look as old as possible. But you know that that's not the fault of the movie. But going back to you know the the topic at hand, you know, really about. And I know you've been like, well, you know, best picture. Yeah. If you go online, people will literally have arguments in film boards about how green my valley winning over citizen Kane, and they will like get into, they will be yelling over the internet at each other i mean other. people do that with marvel they do. versus they, dc and that doesn't they do. mean that either of those well, are... that is true however this is well then look at it this way this is almost like the marvel versus dc of the film world and Maybe. i'll tell you why because if you look at it citizen kane pioneered a lot of filming techniques that we now use in storytelling techniques that we use readily now in fact it looks very similar to like how a drama made today would come out and then if you look at how green my valley is it is very similar to what the movies before it looked like it's you know it's very much like theater like recorded theater kind of segueing into how green is my valley is the director john ford was huge at the time and wells actually watched his previous film from two years before stagecoach stagecoach yeah. over and over again to learn how to make a movie he just kept watching stagecoach and was like making notes like oh how do you do that and how you know so like it's funny that he would end up competing with the guy he studied from a few years later but the thing i thought was really interesting and i think maybe because wells has a theater background mm-hmm. like you know he's he's known as a good filmmaker but i think he was more of like an actor first and foremost before being a director and his background was in theater and the techniques that are pioneered are are interesting like there's there's the bit where he's walking by the window and he's like see those those newspaper men in that picture that's the reason they have such wide circulation and it goes into a close-up on this picture and then on the same frame you see wells walk by and it's a totally new shot and there's plenty of really good uh, examples of transitions. But one thing I thought was interesting that I'd never noticed before is he's very, very particular about the way action plays out. He often yes. will use the fewest amount of shots possible in this movie. There were a lot of cases where it would be 
like a shot on on a character close up and then it dollies out into a wide like mm-hmm. uh, early in the film when Kane is being adopted that exact thing happens with his mother we've got a close up on her looking very sullen calling Charles come inside and as she regroups with the banker and her husband to go outside to talk to Kane, we dolly away from the window and into a wide shot that the rest of the action plays out. Yes. And there's a lot of that. Like, there are several scenes that don't have a lot of editing, and I thought that was really interesting. And it does go with the one thing uh, Wells was famous for liking in a lot of his films was wide-angle lens. Mm-hmm. And for any of you who aren't in on the technical stuff, what that means is that most, basically everything in the picture will be in focus. It's the opposite of telephoto. So with telephoto, that's what you do when you just want one object in focus Mm -hmm. and the rest to not be in focus. Wells liked wide focus. And I think part of that has to do with his background in theater and just wanting to make the scene work kind of organically with the motion. But that's the other uh, difference because I guess we'll start talking about how green was my valley, but there wasn't a lot of camera movement in that one. And I think, especially like when you watch current big budget movies, the camera's always moving. That's something in cinematography classes and stuff they're always telling you is like, if you want to make a a scene more interesting, move the camera. Even if it's just slowly dollying in on someone in like a medium shot, you just do that. And I I noticed that that happens a lot in Citizen Kane, but it almost seems more uh, from like a theater background. I don't think uh, Wells was thinking about editing so much as he was thinking of how a scene would play out on, on a stage because that's where his brain was at. He, yeah. He's still getting used to like working as a as a filmmaker. And later on, we should watch this film sometime, maybe even talk about it, let us know if you'd like. But my favorite film of Wells is called Touch of Evil, and it, sh- it starts with a very famous tracking shot that does not cut. And it kind of goes to show like that Wells was doing this sort of thing before, but then he went very grand with it later on. Moving on to How Green Green Was My Valley. So this is the one that actually did win Best Picture. Yes. You know, I do think it is very representative of cinema before then. What did you think? I know this was the first time you'd seen it. First time watching it, it, I loved it. I mean, John Ford, it's hard to go wrong. I don't think it was his best movie. Which is another funny thing I think you'll find with a lot of filmmakers that you like or you dislike is the films that they win awards for often are not the films people think of when they think of a filmmaker. Yeah. Like Martin Scorsese won for The Departed, but I feel like most people think of... Everybody knows it should have been Pan's Labyrinth. Like Good Goodfellas or like Taxi Driver. When you think of Scorsese, you think of certain movies and The Departed's great, but like it's, it's funny that that's the one that won Best Picture, mm-hmm. if anyone understands what I mean. And that's like every filmmaker. And I kind of feel that way because I believe he won Best Director for this as well. John Ford Mm. I could be wrong about that but I'm almost certain he because this movie won a few things actually yeah but uh anyway so like it's funny to me that this would win over like Stagecoach well that year was a tough year but it is interesting because uh I I do like this movie a lot and this is a much more like human and like sensitive kind of movie than Citizen Kane Citizen Kane is very kind of like bleak it almost has like a gothic opening the kind of downfall of this of this you know giant like giant tycoon is kind of depressing whereas how green was my valley it's it's very you know it's a story it's a story of this this boy and well and and he's reminiscing it's like got this kind of nostalgic sort of quality to it even though it's not from a time that any 
anyone today has lived in. It's got this sort of like it does, it rose does tinted glasses sort of because it's a man in, who's apparently 60 years old. It says that in the synopsis. So yeah. I guess he's 60, you know, talking about like a particular period he, of And he was he talking, he's narrating. He's like yes. not on shot. Yes. And it's him growing up through, I, I try to remember how long, I forgot how long the period was. It felt was. like a year, but it could have been a few years. I think, I think it was maybe like, like three or four years. It's not that long of a time. But what's interesting is the, what I really liked about it is the amount of growing up this child had to do in those three to four years. If you even look at it. At he the, doesn't even speak until like 40 minutes into the yeah. movie. You never hear this child say a word until 40 minutes in or so. Right. So right there from that to like how he is at the end of the movie is a big change. But you know, I, th- I really liked how they were able to showcase how things were happening around him. Like one of the things I was most impressed with is if you remember, there is a part in the movie where he is injured and his mother's injured. And so he's holed up in this bed. That happens pretty early on in the movie. That's like the first big thing that yeah. happens, I'd say. And he's sitting in this bed, but the way to design this bed, it's like a captain's bed. It's built into a wall. It has curtains on either side. And then it has on the other side of it, it's against a wall, a window. And what I really liked about that is it really does portray him as the observer of what's going on in this town you know basically with having the curtains it's like what happens in his house is like a stage show and then the window is like you know another movie he's watching it's very interesting how they were really able to get that across of his role in the story and just being the protagonist is the observer of what's happening and how that will affect how he how he grows up I I thought that was brilliant. I think that was a very good point. It's an interesting sort of... Both of these are interesting movies because one is about a person's downfall and the other is sort of about like a period of time. It's interesting because it's not like nothing happens, but there's not like a, a traditional sort of narrative going on. It's almost like a couple of little mini episodes sort of so to speak there's like you can you can talk about scenes in the movie the way it's it almost feels like a very condensed almost like mini like i'd be interested to see what the book is like because you could probably turn it did a mini series on this i I, I think they did i could be wrong so don't quote me on that but like what you're talking about is because if you really look at it even though this character is talking about his experience and he is the main character but the fact that he's the observer it's because the true story is the progression of this town this little small mining town in wales it's also it's also got a little bit of again i these movies are similar they they have like they have politics and they talk about unions they do uh and they talk about because like one is you know from the perspective of the wealthy the others from the perspective of the working class and that's kind of the interesting thing too is like the the narrator getting injured is like the first quote-unquote big thing to happen but the first real kind of turn with the story is that the coal mine is starting to poach workers who are able to like work for less mm-hmm. and they're wanting to unionize and the the head of this household speaks for for the workers but he doesn't want to go against the the owner essentially well, and also, and, he's uh, very rooted in tradition. That, yes, that plays a lot in this movie. He's very polite. He's very... And it's kind of like a changing generation, too, because all of it... Right. That's the first other big thing that happens is he refuses to, like, speak to the to the owner. And they're like, but you speak Even though the his, people. And his sons, his sons are like... All of his need, sons leave you, the you table. Need to, you, need to union, you need to unionize. And he's like, no, unions are bad. It's on America. No, well, not on America, because it's not in America. But it's like, it's not right well it's like there's that's the thing too is the church is kind of a big uh proponent of that too the church leaders are very like 
you know, you don't speak up against like, and that's a whole other thing too. There's, there's a pastor, I guess he's a, he's a father or a pastor. Or he's I think he's a pastor because he does have romantic interests and I don't think priests can have No, but that. that's why he doesn't go for it. Oh, that, maybe he, remember he's like, maybe I can't. he is a priest that I actually There's a know. forbidden romance with a, a priest of some kind. Nothing and, salacious and one of the, though. No, it's actually quite wholesome and it's very tragic because she ends up marrying the son of the coal mine owner and her husband is not a nice guy he's, he's not the not, worst he's not the worst he's actually uh, part of the family that owns the coal mine that's what i mean and the evans and it's i wouldn't they don't go full drama with with that but she's not happy with the relationship and the guy's not a very good husband and if apparently you, all of the uh the people who work well, it there are just very gossipy because they're just oh they're my God. so mean to her by the way a great a great song to jam to while you're watching these people gossip is babylon from chromatica sorry again plugging the queen but that's the first thing i thought but anyway what i really now thinking about it you know this movie really is about i really think this is a movie about what happens if you don't allow progress to happen what the stunting of progress is for example the older generation was really against the union so they didn't get to unionize and conditions didn't improve in the mind people were being cut because they were too expensive and they could find people to do it cheaper and then you know we're talking about the church the pastor was really progressive for the he was supporting the unions oh yeah the new the new pastor priest um he he was very supportive he was against shaming people for sinning and that's not what the clergy in the town was about they basically chased the pastor out of the town because he's too progressive you know the mines the main character's father is killed in a mining accident it really is basically a cautionary tale of why of why we shouldn't try to stifle progress and i loved how they showcased how together or at the beginning when things were going well how together this town was each other through they, they did all they did a lot of singing the town would all like sing as they were going to work they would come back it's not a musical so if you don't like musicals that's not what i'm saying they would do basically like a like a work song and they would have that and then when people would get married celebrations they would sing and then you know as things start to go wrong that becomes less and less and less and it's to me it's almost like the town as a whole was a character in itself you know like if you've ever seen rebecca you know the character of miss the 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 mentioning of mrs de winter it's almost like she's a like she's a ghost in the movie even though she's not even a character it's i felt like it was sort of the same thing a lot of what happens in the movie you can really tell by how the town is behaving you know they even at, at the beginning the father of the main character the one who stands up for the work he is you know this revered figure in the town people respected him and then at the end they hate him they don't like him and it, it's it's you can really just kind of the town is like i said it's its own character and how it reacts against all the other characters they were able to do that very seamlessly and flawlessly and that's something that i really appreciated about this film and i don't know if you picked up on that but you know i i really enjoyed that aspect of the film yes um as for the meaning for me first of all if i haven't made it clear both films are excellent uh but for the meaning for me i so like i feel like a lot can be derived from like the title and I don't know if this comes from uh, John Ford or if this comes from the novelist, but like it seems like it's posing a question. Yeah. How green was my valley? And kind of going through the whole series of events and things, you know, we've got uh, big changes coming, kind of the breakdown of family, 
and and a lot of other tough things but there's like this human spirit one of the reasons it's a very like john ford you always think of as a western director but most of his movies are very very sentimental Mm -hmm. and you get that in droves with this movie and a lot of it just comes from the the community in this movie and i think the the fact that the narrator you know as as an older man who's leaving this town for the last time and looking back on his life there he's posing that question to himself like how green was my valley how how rich was my childhood how good was my was my past here and my my life here and i think the world is changing in in the period that we're looking at and not always for the better but where the sentimentality comes from and where the greenness from his community comes from is from that his neighbors his his family like the the workers that that actually created wealth in this community in the coal mine were what created this rich life for this young boy uh, and i think that's kind of where if there's a message in this movie that's that's where i get it from is like the the wealth of this community doesn't come from the mine it comes from the people who work there and how they were what was was green in this place that when you think of a coal mine you think of like black dusty probably not very beautiful or green or bountiful it's always like black and dusty and gross and even though it's a great source of income for this community i don't think that's what makes it beautiful it's the people in the community and that's where i th- that's what i think the message is is it's like the the reason he looks while well, contemplating this question he looks back and he he realizes that the the reason he has such a fondness for this period of time is for all these people that made an impression on him and made him a richer person for it. You know, that's interesting because I agree. I, I also thought that, you know, the the title, I don't even, I don't think it has a question mark in it. No, it's just. But I do agree. I do think it is posed as a question. And I originally, until you mentioned that, I originally thought it was him saying, because you feel at the very beginning, it's very surreal how happy he is before any of the, you know, the things that happen, happen. So I thought he was saying, how green was my valley, you know, at the start if all these problems were just hiding underneath it, I just wasn't aware of it yet because I was too young to understand what was going on. So that's what I thought it meant. But I like what you're saying about, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that the town, you know, was profitable off their coal mine that made it, that made his life rich. It was, it was the people. And when the people changed, that created issues too. I recommend both of these movies. These are watch both, them back to back. These are both excellent movies. Um, you should watch both of these movies. They're both cinematic treasures. However... Because we did pose the question at the beginning, we will now answer it for ourselves. This should not influence your opinion anyway. But Whiskey, I think you know what my answer is, but Whiskey, do you think How Green My Valley Is deserved the Oscar over Citizen Kane for I Best do, Picture? I do, actually, because... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because one, I don't think... I'd have to look it up, because uh, I know John Ford won multiple Academy Awards, but I don't know if he had won one before this. Okay. And sometimes these, the Academy Awards especially are more ceremonial than like, and that's part of the reason you often see kind of this unevenness to which films win and which don't, especially with like very famous directors. It's almost kind of like, well, their time has come kind of thing. So although I don't think this is necessarily John Ford's best movie, I do think that by this time, like especially since 
you know, the last time he was up for best director and best picture, he was going up against the likes of The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. So, you know, like it, I think his time had come that he deserved the award. Uh, Orson Welles was a new filmmaker at this point. Uh, and a lot of, and he, he got, you know, the, the movie did well financially. He stuck it to Hearst. Um, <laughs> and people liked the movie when it came out. Uh, and I think that's all that would have made him happy, you know, is that people saw the film and liked it. And he, I don't think would have even really cared about winning an award. I don't know. Yeah. If he ever I don't think really he was did. an award. Yeah. Um, so, chaser. so yes. And that, and that's the thing too. Like this, the whole thing is, it's so nebulous. Like the, the criteria needed to be the quote unquote greatest film of all time. There's tons of different genres. Like you, you, t- you, you, t- know, t- you know, what my, you know what I think is it? And I'm sure you have your own yeah, the personal cra- things, things that it. make good movies differ depending on the genre, depending on the time period, and even depending based on, on who's watching. Yeah. So that's the thing. I, I think these are both equally excellent movies. I will and, and I like I'm I think uh, Orson Welles might have he definitely was nominated later in his life, but again it wasn't important to him winning an award, and it never really is. That's that's something like if you are like me and you take the Oscars very seriously, especially at the at the in the heat of the moment, just remember that uh, what I said at the beginning of this that if you take any year and look at the nominees and which films won you are guaranteed to get in an argument with people because deciding what film is like, you know, excellent at the at a period of time is like trying to start a trend. I mean, you we, know, like you we, I, just, I, we just saw that earlier when you were mentioning the departed and I was like, you know, I personally believe Pan's Labyrinth should have won that year. There you go. But it's it's you know, trying to create excellence in the moment, it's just never going to work. Uh, it's like trying to create like a viral trend or something like it's just whether people whether the whether people's cultural consciousness like latches on to something uh you know it's it it just will happen or it won't either people get it or they don't and even if a movie is really well made people just might not like it at the time yeah um another one that just kind of came you know for a period of time the matrix was huge it didn't win. It was nominated for some Academy Awards. It might have won something for special effects. Right, yeah. But it was up for a bunch of things. That movie had a huge, uh, you know, cultural impact, more so than probably what won that year at the Academy Awards. So, you know, it, to my, in my opinion, it really, it's more, uh, it's more to, like, uh, hype up the movie than anything. Right. I don't think the award is, like, evidence of excellence. In I will itself. say... Um, this is a movie that, uh, at least speaking for Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane was a movie that I struggled with because as uh, Whiskey has sat through with me through many a cinema experience, but for me it was, I didn't want to watch it because essentially in film school I was told I had to like this movie and I don't like that feeling. And I finally watched it and I'm glad it because it is a movie that I did enjoy and I do think it's important, especially we're talking about award shows, it's important that you look at what your own personal taste is and, and, have, and hold value in what you consider to be good. You know, you shouldn't necessarily let what people say this is good or this is bad um, dictate your taste. However, because I did pose the question, I do think How Green My Valley Is did deserve the Oscar over Citizen Kane. My reasoning is a little bit different from yours is I do think, I do think the movie is phenomenal it is emotion. I do think it has a lot more emotional depth than Citizen Kane does, and 
for me, like Sister Kane is an excellent film. However, you know, my mother used to tell me, you know, that when people talk about, oh, this movie's different. Well, is it good or bad? They're like, oh, it's different. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. You know, different is not something that you can be graded on it. And I do sometimes feel like Citizen Kane, it did pioneer all these techniques. And so that's why it is so highly renowned, which it should be for that. But I do think this might have been a case of this year. It was that it was a different film. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad film. It was a great film, but it wasn't its story and the way it was told. I don't think was good enough to surpass how green my Valley is. But Again, that's just my opinion. I do think it was just a film that was different. Um, and so, and that's one, and that's one of the reasons why it has prevailed for so long is because of how different it was. Like I was talking about earlier, you know, I feel like it was rep- more representative of the way movies are made now than how Green My Valley was then. Again, it was, it was a movie that was different. I think, I do think people have taken those techniques and used them to create better films than Citizen Kane. I'm not saying that means Citizen Kane is bad. I just, I don't think it, it I don't think, I do... I'm saying I do think How Green My Valley is did deserve the Best Picture Oscar. If you're speaking strictly from what the Best Picture that year is, not we're not talking about for all time, but just for that speaking for that year, I do think that it is um, the it did deserve that. Now I want to pose this challenge to our listeners down in the comments. I want to start a fight. Everyone post what they think is the greatest film of all time. And then I don't. Ca- I don't care how bad your choice is. I I want everyone to say what they think is. Period. The best film ever made, and I will. And you know, stand in your convictions. Yeah, absolutely. And just if you think that, then it is the best. Basically, what we're saying is what the best film is is subjective, and no matter what people tell you, the audience is not stupid. <laughs> but. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if however a film makes you feel that makes you want to rewatch it over and over again, when people talk about, oh, this is my favorite and the best film, I don't think that. I think to you, I think the best film is a very personal thing for you, and you should own that. So I'll start it off. Howard the Duck is the greatest film of all time. See, now he, now, Fight me. now he's just trying to start stuff. But if you think that, go ahead, tell us why. Uh, we're eager to hear where you want, and maybe you know you want us to review a film that you enjoy. As always, you know, tweet at us. We'd love to hear from you. And we will catch you next time. Sayonara. Reels on the Rocks is a production of Le Prince Laboratories. It is edited and produced by Alejandro Castillo with original artwork by Ace Esparza. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks and tweet at us any movies or shows you'd like us to discuss in the future. Music